Good morning. Wonderful to be here with you today. And uh, so, isn't it exciting how God is blessing this ministry? And uh, the clarity of the leadership is, uh, is really refreshing. And uh, when we come to the gathering, there is an opportunity in that for significant change in our hearts and our lives and our minds for the way that we think. And how important is that when, when we first retired 10 years ago from full-time ministry, uh, I became a little irritable. Pretty hard to believe, isn't it? And I can give you a demonstration if you like. And uh, I was at my doctor's and I shared with her that uh, I was seemed more irritable. And uh, I knew that because my wife pointed it out to me. But, uh, and she said, well, what do you think the answer is to that? I said, I think the answer is that I think differently than I am. And she says, that's very important. And, and, and that's important for all of us to understand, not just for irritability, but for every area of our life. A lot of times the Spirit of God wants to change the way that we think and the way that we perceive things. And uh, even at my age, he's still doing that. So that never ends, this side of heaven. Uh, the Spirit of God continues to work in our lives in a way to bring significant change. And uh, every one of us need that. Every single one of us need that. Uh, to the point that sometimes I, I wonder before the Lord, is, is this ever going to be different? Not that I'm such a bad person, but there's just certain things sometimes that alarm you, and uh, maybe that's true of you as well. Uh, it was great to be here last night and the Saturday afternoon, last yesterday afternoon. Great group of people. Isn't that good that you have to make room for more people? And uh, that is a wonderful thing. And how exciting it is that you're going to be buying this facility uh, right here in Skipback. I think that's terrific. And uh, we live along the Perkiomen Creek Road. And uh, I love the influence of this ministry in Skipback in our area. And it's a great thing. Uh, last night, I, I probably went to bed around 8.30, and I woke up at 2.30, and uh, so I'm a little sleepy. If you see me nodding off, you'll know the reason why. Uh, couldn't sleep. I tried to sleep for about a half an hour. I finally got up and thought, well, this is a waste of time. So I got up, and I went out to my computer, and a good friend of mine, whose name is Wally, lives in Virginia. Wally was in my class in, in college and was a pastor for many years. And he, he posts pretty consistently, very thoughtful man. And, I, and I, I looked at his post and the title was Addicted to People. Addicted to People. And uh, I thought how appropriate it is for me to see that uh, here this morning because people are our business. Uh, if I if I was a automobile dealership owner, I would be in transportation. Uh, if I was uh, dealing with computers, I would be in information. Uh, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, and so my business, and I'm suggesting to you, your business and the business of the church is people, and uh, and that's not always simple. It's not always easy because not every person makes it easy for you. And uh, I had a conversation with uh, Pastor Joe, and I said, you know, it's amazing that Jesus died for Putin. How many of you believe that? Does that not make it obvious that he loves Putin? He doesn't agree with him. 
but he loves him. And as I've thought about that, I thought, when's the last time you prayed for Putin? Uh, and I couldn't remember a time, probably because I may have never done that. But, but God supernaturally wants to change our minds about people, uh, including the, the difficult neighbor that lives next door, that, that, that tough coworker, wherever you're working, uh, the member of your family that's like Cousin Eddie, who's going to pull up on his motorhome and, and dump the contents out at the curb. Uh, you know, that, that makes it very challenging, but not impossible. And it's important for us to remember that. And, and I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians 9. This is not on the screen, by the way, because I added this uh, to the outline, which happens to me frequently. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 9, beginning with verse 19, listen to this very closely because it challenged me at 2.33 o'clock this morning, and I find it challenging even now. Even though, and I'm reading this from the New Living Translation, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. Now, did you hear that? In Titus, from what I understand, that word slave is interpreted addicted. And that's where the title came from, from Wally. And uh, I have become a slave to all people to bring, that, bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. Very powerful words, very wise words that, that Paul is sharing to the church at Corinth. Uh, when I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ, but I do not ignore the law of God. In other words, the values that I learned in the Scripture, I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ, not because he's saved by keeping the law, but he feels like that righteous standard is probably should not be ignored by us. It's something that we should embrace. This is how followers of Christ, when I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness. That's a challenge because we don't always know what that weakness may be. Now, I don't watch the Academy Awards, but somebody got slapped in this last one pretty hard. And uh, I found myself this morning being encouraged by the comments of another. You know, what precipitated that and what are the weaknesses that are present in that individual's life that would allow them to be so out of control? Maybe we should pray for that person. Uh, Will Smith. Uh, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some, doing everything I can to save some, not discourage some, but to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. Now, there is a challenge for us, and there is an aspiration for us that is uh, explained very clearly by the Apostle Paul, and I want that to be my aspiration. That's how, I, that's how I want to live. I want to live with that kind of concern for other people, understanding that loving people also involves disagreeing with people at times. And uh, I am convinced in my own heart that sometimes one of the most loving things I can do for anyone is to disagree and to tell them the truth, but do it in a way that opens ears and doesn't close ears. 
There is a wisdom that's required in our interaction with other people, and uh, a wisdom that opens the door, doesn't slam it shut, but opens the door. And uh, and I, I, that's something I strive to do in, in my daily life, uh, driving school bus and otherwise. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings, the Apostle Paul says. Now, Paul's attitude towards a variety of people made him a most effective ambassador for Christ. And I see in this text that attitude is very much a part of it. What is my attitude? Obviously, there are choices that people make that just turns me off, that repulses me, and because it seems so ill-advised and so undesirable. But what's my attitude about that individual? Am I more concerned about their destiny and their salvation than I am about the choices they're making? And I think that Jesus lived that way. I, I, I'm convinced of that. Go back and read the gospel account, and I think you will be convinced of that as well. That Jesus responded to people without bias. He just responded to them, and religious leaders criticized him for it and came against him for it. And by the way, I believe he had his harshest words for some of those who thought they were the most spiritual. There's a powerful lesson in that. And, uh, and, and something we can learn from that. And, and I say, Lord, check my attitude and help me to have an attitude that is involved some supernatural intervention in my life because I struggle to come at that on my own. I can say I'm going to be different. I'm not going to be that way any longer. And the day later, I find myself repeating that very thing. And I realize that what's necessary for me is a supernatural attitude change, heart change, mind change, so that I can, re I can respond to people in the way that would be pleasing to the Lord. I am reminded that for the follower of Christ and the church in general, people are our business. They are our business. Knowing that is very, very important. Having served in the pastorate for 43 years, I know how simple it is for followers of Christ to become contented with what they may refer to as our family, the family of God, and even become somewhat irritated when they see the demographics changing and new people coming in. How is this going to impact my standing? How is that going to impact our fellowship together as the body of Christ? oftentimes has come to the surface, and, and they may see a value in that, and maybe there, maybe there is, I don't know what it would be, but there is a higher value in that, and that is the body that isn't growing is dying. And, and I think that's obvious, whether it's you as an individual or collectively the body of Christ the church. Now, really, after all of that, my topic this morning is loving people. And uh, thank you, Wally, for distracting me uh, from that but uh, I think it was a worthwhile distraction, and uh, I find it important to learn from others. Robert Morris, who is a very well-known pastor, uh, made this comment. The answer to the question, what is God thinking about? Have you ever thought of that? What is God thinking about right now? What's he thinking about right now? Robert Morris claims that he can answer that question anytime that somebody asks him the question, he said, God is thinking about people. And he, he has arrived at that conclusion by the way that God has responded to humanity and the unselfish provision that he has made, holding nothing back, even his own son, Jesus Christ. 
I agree with Robert Morris. God is thinking about people. He's thinking about every one of us individually. He knows how many hairs are in our head, and, uh, and uh, we're on his mind. And don't, don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. And he's thinking about those who don't even know him as well. If that were not true, he would not have provided the means of salvation. All of the law hangs on two hooks, loving God and loving people. And uh, loving God supremely, loving others, your neighbor as yourself, loving them. And, and I've, I have that memorized. I've read it thousands of times. I've quoted it thousands of times. I'm not sure that it's true about me. I'm not sure that it's true about me. Because I think quite a lot of myself. And so do you. You know? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with your heart and mind and soul and spirit, strength. We have been instructed to go into the world, not to insist that people come. And it's, it's, not, a, it's, it's not a bad thing to make it, you know, stop shaking, Stan. Uh, loving people as you love yourself may involve a change of mind, and we've been talking about that. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, we have this mandate, this great commission, not great suggestion, this great commission, go out and train everyone you meet far and near, far and near, in this way of life. You know, we have the way of life that we have embraced has no, has no equal, has no competition. One time sitting on the strip in Las Vegas in a restaurant, I looked around at all the glitz and I asked myself the question, and you might be asking yourself a question, what were you doing on the strip in Las Vegas? Well, we'll talk about that sometime. No, I was just there on a vacation. Believe me, I was on the strip long enough to eat and I couldn't wait to get out of there. But I asked myself the question, how do you compete with all of this? And because the Spirit of God knows what I'm thinking, he, re he responded to that thought and he said, they can't compete with what you have. Do you believe that? All my life, he has been faithful. All my life, he has been so, so good. With every breath that I'm able, I'm going to sing of the goodness of God. We have this message to declare to people who don't understand, and, and, and a lot don't understand. I interact with people my own age that have grown up in a religious situation, and they don't understand who Jesus is really. They don't understand why he died on the cross and why they needed him to die on the cross, and they're in their mid-70s and even 80, and you think, where have you been? But a lot of people don't understand, but we have this message to declare in a variety of different ways. And that's where wisdom comes in. And I think the most powerful opening is when they experience the compassion of Jesus coming from you towards them. And you're not introducing yourself with words of condemnation and accusation, but you're responding them with compassion, much the way that Jesus did. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then instruct them to practice of, in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day 
right up until the end of the age. And when I read that last part of that Great Commission, I realize that I have no excuse that really is a valid excuse. The Lord has promised that He would be with me in every situation. And I can tell you this, that when I experience an anointing on my words, most often is when I am responding to people and helping them to understand how they also can experience this life to the full that we read about in the Scripture and get out of the grips of the thief. It's a very important message. It's unrivaled. And not only that, it's, it has the power of God unto salvation in it. And people sometimes don't understand why this is affecting them the way they are. It is. But those of us who know the Lord know that. So loving people is the heart of the vision. The Great Commission gives us clear direction. Going is the mission. Entering the lives and stories of people God puts in your space. Love lost people. Win them one at a time. Win them one at a time. For 17 and a half years, we pastored in Wincote, which is a suburb of Philadelphia, just a half a mile outside the border of Philadelphia. Spent many times down in Philadelphia, Shelton Chew, 8th and Butler, 5th and Venango, uh, a lot of different places down in Philadelphia doing street meetings down in there. And, uh, and I, I understand the needs that are so prevalent there were times when I was driving down Broad Street that it would be an emotional experience for me because I, the needs were just screaming at me. And I was a pastor in that area. And I remember one, more than once I said, God, how, how do we impact this culture? And the answer that came into my mind was one person at a time. Don't underestimate the influence of one person at a time. That the majority of people that come to, to faith in Christ do so because they have experienced a one-on-one contact by someone who loves them and who loves the Lord at the same time. So the unsaved urgently need our love, and we must respond to the providential meetings that God brings to us. And, and I believe that we experience providential meetings that we may define as coincidental. I don't believe in coincidences. I really don't. I believe that those opportunities are providential and, uh, and, and I pray that God will give me the wisdom and understanding to respond when the opportunity is there in a way that, once again, does not slam the door shut, but begins a friendship, perhaps. Providential meetings. One providential meeting I had was probably seven years ago. Uh, maybe longer than that now. We were on a Mediterranean cruise, my wife and I. We were on a setting down in the, uh, the deck where the hotel-like desk is found. My wife was dealing with an issue. She wasn't upset. In fact, my wife and I have been married 55 years, and uh, she doesn't get upset. Somebody said, how do you explain a, a happy marriage for 55 years? I said, well, on our 25th anniversary, I flew my wife to Italy. On our 55th anniversary, I flew to Italy and picked her up. <laughs> Now, my wife is not here, and, uh, so I tell you that confidentially. Actually, it never happened. I'm sure you're surprised to hear that. And if you, well, my wife, if you knew my wife, you'd realize I would have been the one who had been left behind. Remember, sometimes I struggle with irritability. And uh, 
I met a man named Greg. Greg walked over. I was seated in that, on that deck, and he walked over, and he said, do you mind if I sat here? And I said, no, sir, have a seat. He said, don't call me, sir. I said, well, you'll get used to it. And, uh, and he sat down, and he smiled. Greg was a very humorous guy. He became a friend of mine. And uh, he sat down, and he said, who are you? And I answered Greg in a way that I don't think I ever answered anybody else. I said, I'm a Christian. It's a little risky because not everybody has good feelings about those who profess Christianity. Some of those feelings may be legitimate in some way. But uh, he said, oh, that's interesting. But what do you do? I said, well, I'm a pastor. He said, I wondered. In what denomination? And uh, I'm an ordained minister in the Assemblies of God. And I said, the Assemblies of God. I said, you probably don't know that. No. And he said, oh, yes, I do. Do you know so-and-so? Do you know? I said, and these were people that I knew. And then he announced to me that he was an atheist. And he said, by the time I'm done with you, you will be a heathen. And I laughed. I said, excuse me, you have no idea who you're talking to. There's no way that will happen. I, I can tell you that right now. Not possible. It's not going to happen. I've known the Lord since I was a young boy, and I, I'm not disappointed with Jesus in any way, shape, or form. Ten-day cruise, we had lunch or breakfast or supper with him and his wife almost every other day, or sometimes days in a row. And for six years, Greg and I continued this friendship. He would initiate contact, and so would I. And then he came down with stage four cancer, and uh, he called me one night from the hospital. He says, Sid, I can hardly, I can hardly talk. I'm so sick. I'm just so sick. There were times I would say to Greg, I'm praying for you, and he would say, don't waste your time. And so this time I intentionally said, Greg, you're in my thoughts. And he said, how about your prayers? I said, Greg, you've been in my prayers all along. Called me the next morning. He was much better. They had him medicated. And, and again, I, I had prayer with him. I said, I'm praying for you, Greg. He said, if my friends knew that I was wanting someone to pray for me, they would fall off their chairs. I said, well, that's fine. Let them fall off their chairs. I never had another conversation with him. In my heart of hearts, I believe, because Greg claimed the born-again experience, which I found, I said, Greg, you believe that in your heart? That was a conviction. Yes. How? It's not possible, Greg, that you, a born-again Christian, truly born-again Christian, arrive at the point there is no God. I, I just don't see that happening. It seems like an impossibility. It's an impossibility in my mind. And so I don't know. It's not for me to call. It's not for me to judge his experience years before that. But I have this hope in my heart that Greg is in heaven because, you know, of what he said to me, how about prayer? Will you pray for me? And I believe there was a turning to faith. I believe that because of the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit. He's like the hound of heaven. He just keeps biting at their heels. He doesn't let go of you. And you're not comfortable when you're in rebellion because at every crossroad, he's there nipping at your heels. I believe that not only for myself, but also for Greg. And I like to believe he's there, but I share that with you to tell you these kinds of meetings are providential. They are providential. Knowing that is very, very important for all of us. Jesus Christ viewed people as a priority. It's obvious, absolutely obvious. His response to people produced supernatural results. 
You see it all throughout the Gospels. And uh, one is in Zacchaeus. The other is in the woman of Samaria. Supernatural results. Life change. Transformation. No longer the same anymore. Not only positionally, but in reality. Real life change. And now they became followers of Jesus Christ, which is really amazing when you understand the story. Followers of Jesus are never more like Jesus than when they're loving people. I believe that. I believe that. The accusation that comes from the non-believing world often today is, well, you Christians, you not only hate the sin, you hate the sinner. And I have to admit that as I look at that and I listen to that, I think that in a number of cases they arrived at that position for legitimate reasons. It reflects the experiences that they've had with people who claim to be followers of Christ. And that really bothers me. And that's why I say that followers are never more like Christ than, they, than when they're loving people. Listen to Luke chapter 19, verse 10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. How many of you want to be like Jesus? You know, as the Father sent him, so he has sent us. We come to seek and to save those that are lost. We are in the business of people. Not only lost people, but born-again people. You come here and you're taught and you're equipped and you're, you're ministered to and you're encouraged. That's incredibly important to God. He loves that and He approves of that and He blesses that in every way. But we're here to love people who don't know Jesus. That's why we're here. We're here to seek and to save the lost. Another portion of Scripture says he did not come to be, to serve, to be served, but he came to serve. We're talking about the Son of God here, about God the Son, fully God, fully man. You know, we are not here to be served, but to serve. How many times as a pastor, and there were legitimate times where I was just negligent, that someone in the congregation would say to me, you know, such and such, and I heard nothing from you. One was a lady in the congregation who had knee surgery, and she had given instructions to her friend that no one was to tell the pastor. No one was to tell the pastor. Her friend came to me and says, have you missed this lady? And I said, yes, I have. I said, I figured she was away visiting her grandchildren because she told me that's what it would be if she wasn't there. No, she had surgery. You should call her, but don't tell her I told you. Because she made me promise that I wouldn't tell you. So this lady was obviously not a promise keeper. But uh, I was happy that she told me. So I called the lady on the phone, and she said, well, it's about time you call. I said... Really? I had surgery a month ago. I said, well, you never told me that. We well, said, if I know my Jesus, he's able to let you know what's going on in my life. I said, no, 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 don't put this on Jesus. Scripture's clear. If there's any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church, that they would be anointed and prayed for. It was your responsibility to let me know. How would I know if you didn't tell me? And she said, well, she kind of acquiesced a little bit, and my irritability went down a notch. And, uh, and I said, I'm, I'm going to come and see you if it's okay. She was at home, and I did, and she was fine after that. But 
It's not a good thing when any one of us have a priority of being served. The priority needs to be that we serve, not that we be served. Now, you are served in this church in a very skillful way. You're taught the Word of God and your love. This is a very loving congregation. But it's not a good thing when the overwhelming desire is to be served rather than to serve. God has called us as servants and influencers. We are termed as salt and light. We are looking for the open door and going through it. The letter to the church of Philadelphia in Revelation, Behold, I've set before you an open door, and no man can close it. And, and I apply that to my own. I said, but that was in the church in Philadelphia. Well, I was in Philadelphia for 17 and a half years. I understand the context of it. But the principle of it, I think, applies to me and to each and every one of us, and that is that he puts in front of me open doors, and for the most part, those those open doors are people, people that I come into their space, or he brings them into my space. And he said, nobody can close it, but Stan, you can refuse to go through it. And this is a desire that I have, that that I will not miss the open doors that God puts in front of me, and that I will not ever refuse to go through them, no matter how intimidating it might seem to me, I want to be obedient, and I want to go through it, because I'm interested in the supernatural results that men like Zacchaeus experienced when Jesus came into their space. He provides for us an example, Jesus, in Jericho. It involves Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. Chief tax collector meant there were other tax collectors working under him. And the way tax collectors made their money, they were working for Rome, who were the oppressors. And it was a very unpatriotic thing. Some considered it treasonous. And they would collect the taxes for Rome, and they, it was okay if they collected more than the taxes were. And they were able to pad their own pockets, and many of them became very wealthy. Now, if you're a tax collector in here today, uh, None of what I just said applies to you. Although I never look forward to your letters. (laughs) Or letter. I don't get letters. I get a letter. And we pay our tax. Luke chapter 19, verse 5 and 6. When Jesus came to the place, when he came into Jericho, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. Zacchaeus had climbed up into a sycamore tree for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received them joyfully. Does that correspond with what I've said about not missing the open door? I must come to your house today. So he hurried down and received them joyfully. Now listen to the response of the people. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. God help that, you know, that that a follower of Jesus Christ should be a guest in a sinner's home. What good could come out of that? Well, a lot of good came out of this meeting. You know, I lived during a time in a very legalistic environment, and uh, there were Christian people who said, I'm not inviting unbelievers in my home. They might light up a cigarette while they're there. What? Listen, if you think smoke's bad here, it's a lot worse than hell. You know, I mean, come on. They might light up a cigarette. Open the windows. There's a higher value here, and the value is here's a person who doesn't know Jesus, not because they're a smoker. There are smokers who know Jesus, and because they're smoking a cigarette, I don't believe that's going to keep them out of heaven. It may get them there sooner. (laughs) 
you know, may get them there sooner. But in that day, that was the attitude about it. I don't, I don't smoke. I don't, it's been at least six weeks since I smoked a cigarette, you know. And I tried chewing, but I didn't like that. It was just too messy. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone as a guest in this tax collector's home. Is it not obvious that Jesus was not all that concerned about his brand? About the feelings of people around him? Isn't it obvious that he wasn't in Jericho to please the crowd? That he was there for something more important than that? And that was, here was a man, Zacchaeus, who was a child of Abraham, who didn't know Jesus, didn't know who Jesus was. So he invited himself to his home. Do you have any unsaved friends? I, I think you should. Now, I'm not saying you do what they do. But I have friends who are unsaved. I had an atheist friend who passed away last year. And I loved them as a friend, even though we disagreed on a number of levels. I loved them as a friend, and I embraced every opportunity that was there. And I feel this way. Had I not been willing to be a friend to Greg, he would not have heard what I had to share with him. And for that matter, I would not have heard what he had to share with me. You mean you learn from him? Absolutely. I learned the inadvisability of rejecting Jesus. I learned what it's like to be a person who has to manufacture a smile and has to act as though they're happy, but in the final analysis, that it all dawns on them that this is not what it's about. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? The results that took place in Zacchaeus' life are incredible. And I share this with you in closing. Luke 19, 8 and 10, the worship thing can come. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Thank God for his obedience. Like Jesus, we find people where we are. Neighbors, people in stores, lost people at work, wherever we are at any time. When I was 13 years old, and this is in closing, and I mean it this time. <laughs> when, I was, when I was 13 years old, we, our family moved to Camp Hill, Pennsylvania, suburb of Harrisburg. We moved into a parsonage. My dad was a district superintendent, and he is now responsibility for Pennsylvania and Delaware. And uh, when we moved into that house, the person who lived in there before us told my dad, the man across the street is very unfriendly. Don't even bother. Don't even bother. His name was Charles. I won't tell you his last name. He was an entrepreneur. He was a wealthy man, and he was a businessman in that area. And my dad, being a very friendly man, when he would come out of his house in the morning to go into his office, Charles would be out in his yard, and my dad would holler across them, Good morning! In the first, no response, but after dad kept doing that, then Charles would say, Good morning! 
And then one day my dad came out of the house and Charles was over there going, and they must have introduced him. So I said, Russell, can you come over here for a minute? And he went over. Now, Charles was a very wealthy man. He had need of nothing. But he'd come over and he said, you know, Russell, I haven't slept for three or four days. I just can't sleep. He needed rest. That's one thing he needed. And my dad says, well, Charles, every night when my wife and I go to bed, we pray together. And he said, tonight we're going to pray for you that the Lord will give you a good night's rest. The next morning, my dad came into the house and Charles says, Russell, come here. And he went over and he says, Russell, did you and your wife pray for me last night? He said, yes, we did. He said, I had the first good night's rest since I can't remember. Do you have time for a cup of coffee? Absolutely. He went in and sat down at the kitchen table with Charles, and he led him to the Lord. He led him to the Lord. Friendliness prompted by compassion, prompted by an authentic love that God has placed within your heart, powerfully influences. May God give you a love for people. May he increase your love for people. May he help you to put aside any bias and to show kindness. May he help you to be responsive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit every day in your life. Let's worship the Lord together.